is uh, the 27th of September, 2008, and we're looking at Lesson 5 of It's Not What You Think, It's What You Do. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your provision in all that you give us, that you have given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Father, we thank you for your word and its supreme place in our lives. Father, that without it we would have no revelation of you with which we could know you. Father, we do know that you have uh, given us uh, nature and each other and uh, the stars in the heavens, Father. And they declare your glory, but we thank you for your word, for it is that clear revelation of you, of your abundant love for us. And Father, we do thank you for that, and we ask that you might teach us this morning from your word, in Yeshua's name. This is from Shacharit, this is Ahavat Rabbah, or an abundant love. With an abundant love, you have loved us, Lord our God, with exceedingly great pity. You have pitied us, our Father, our King, for the sake of our forefathers, who trusted in you. In whom you taught the decrees of life, may you be equally gracious to us and teach us. Our Father, the merciful Father, who acts mercifully, have mercy upon us, instill in our hearts to understand and elucidate, to listen, learn, teach, safeguard, perform, and fulfill all the words of your Torah's teaching with love. Enlighten our eyes in your Torah, attach our hearts to your commandments, and unify our hearts to love and fear your name. And may we not feel inner shame for all eternity, because we have trusted in your great and awesome holy name. May we exult and rejoice in your salvation. Bring us in peacefulness from the four corners of the earth, and lead us with an upright pride to our land. For you affect salvations, O God. You have chosen us from among every people and and tongue, and you have brought us close to your great name forever in truth, to offer praise for thanks to you, and proclaim your oneness with love. Blessed are you, Lord, who chooses his people Israel with love. Amen. We're looking at teaching, which is why I chose, uh, chose that prayer, Rabbah, which is part of the daily service. Uh, this is from the Psalms, uh, Psalm 78, verses 1, and then also verse 5 through 8. Listen, O my people, to my instruction, and that is the word Torah. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law, in English it says law, of course in the Hebrew it is the same word Torah, in Israel, which he commanded our fathers as they, as, and th- that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know. Do you understand, you, you recognize that point there, that the gener- why are we to teach our children that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born that they may arise and tell them to their children and that they might that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the words of God but to keep his commandments and that is the word mitzvot and not to be like their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. That's Psalm 78, 1 and verses 5 through 8. And what I've written on the boards here, if you can read it in, in Assyrian script, or the block script, is the word Torah. Uh, it's a uh, um, spelled out there, if you can read it. Uh, anyway, it's Torah, which means instruction. It comes from the root, or the Shoresh, which is Yara, which means to shoot or to point, as an arrow. One shoots an arrow, one points at something that is Yara. Uh, so, in fact, uh, the word law, most oftentimes, especially the Tanakh, um, usually the word law in English is simply the word Torah. Uh, We recognize, obviously, that the Torah would be the first five books of Scripture, the the words or the books of Moses, given uh, given by God through his servant, his prophet Moses, but we would also recognize that all of Scripture is 
Torah. Where all of scripture is in fact instruction from God. Now, it's, it's the danger, I guess, I suppose, of people trying to separate and to split things into little teeny pieces. Uh, there's the ritual law, the uh, ceremonial law, as it's also called, or the moral law, and then there's the... Um, civic law or civil law um, and recognizing that uh, that in fact God makes no such distinctions that his instructions all of his words as Paul told Timothy all of his words are good and are profitable good for correction and uh, and for learning and for discovering righteousness um, that the idea then of trying to divide it all up and, and, and by that division of course in my mind and maybe I'm wrong uh, I guess maybe I'm a little jaded in this way but in my mind the only reason people ever divide it up or, or make division of it is so they can annul it uh, what we've seen, though, in the past, a few uh, four previous lessons, we looked at Yareh. Did you notice, by the way, in uh, in Havat uh, Havat Rabbah, the uh, abundant love prayer from the uh, from the Siddur that I read, the usage of these words? These are all found in here: fear, Shema, hear or obey, love, Ahava, uh, or Ahav, uh, treasure. Uh, Shamar, we, we find these words often repeated, which is why I chose them first in our study, because they're, they're words that are principal to our understanding of words that follow. Uh, so we've, we've been looking at all these words, uh, these, these uh, past four weeks. We've also learned uh, that by design, we will fear, we will obey, uh, and we will love someone uh, or something. The question is, you know, to whom are we uh, giving that love or that fear or, or that obedience? And it's, that's our choice. And that's exactly what God is revealing in his word is that you're going to do this. It should be with me and me alone. If we fear God, if we hear and obey his voice, if we love him, we will treasure his word and his commandments. And as, as uh, Yochanan, John, uh, the apostle, the beloved apostle, says in First John, his commandments are not burdensome. Um, so, the question becomes, as, as I have this question posed in the outline, if this is all true, how are we to do it? How are we to do anything but teach it? Teaching seems to be the natural outgrowth of having a, a fear of the Lord, having a, uh, a reverence that you would obey Him, and loving Him. It seems only natural, and it is, that we would teach it. Now, some people would say that they're not teachers, so therefore I don't have to teach. And, and we discover very quickly in Scripture that, that is not true. In fact, the command to teach is something that is evident throughout the Scriptures. Uh, we find it principally, as we're going to look at here in a second, we find it principally in the very, uh, in the very uh, confession of our faith, the Shema, our confession to the Father, our, our uh, God bless you, our, uh, our surrender to Him as King, uh, where we declare our, our, our covenant loyalty to Him in the Shema, and in the statement of the Shema, and in the, uh, uh, the Hahasta, uh, and you shall love, portion of that paragraph. We know in the, in the three paragraphs of the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 11, and from Numbers chapter 15, that Deuteronomy chapter 6 is in the plural and Deuteronomy chapter 11 is in the singular. So teaching is a commandment to us collectively, plural, and it's also a commandment to us individually. We are each to teach. And who are we to teach in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 11? Uh, the first is, is plural, the second is singular. Who are we to teach in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 11? Why? And this, we read this in, in the Psalms as well. Why? That's true. In the Psalms it says, so that they can 
know, right? That they may know even the children yet to be born, right? That they should teach them to the children, that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. It's a, it's a long chain. If we do not teach, do you, know, do you know that our faith is only one generation from extinction? Consider the fact that if we do not teach our children, by the way, if you don't physically have children, you still have children in, in this regard. We have an absolute responsibility to teach one another. Absolute responsibility. We cannot escape this responsibility to teach one another. What are we to teach? How are we to teach? Um... And it, when, when you consider the fact, when you consider the fact that teaching your children is that important, that it is listed right there at the top of the list. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 real quick. The, 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 uh, of all the things, I have to say that Judaism does really well. This is one of them. Uh, it isn't to say that Judaism has been completely successful. We know in the in the in the in the, in the Enlightenment, in the great in, in the Enlightenment in Europe, uh, Judaism would have been snuffed out, except for a bunch of wackos. Excuse me, I'm I'm speaking in the terms of other people would use, except for a bunch of wackos in in Eastern Europe that uh, through Hasidim and and through Hasidus and the and the and the more mystic side of Judaism, it, it would have been obliterated. I mean, the vast number of Jews in the United States even in the world, are non-religious. It's, it's, uh, it's remarkably sad. Um, and uh, one of the reasons, actually maybe the principal reason, is in fact the, the, uh, the failure to teach children. It's one of the things that, as, as those of you who have this background know, is those traditions, those home traditions, are very powerful. And the abandonment even of the traditions is, is significant in this idea of not passing it on to their children, although that's not what's being commanded. What's being commanded specifically is, in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Here's the first uh, external portion of that. You shall teach them diligently to your children. As we're going to see here in a second here, that is, from the, that is from the word shanan. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Uh, the, the tradition of saying Shema at rising and at going to bed comes from this. But what comes first? Teach them to your children. Teach what to your children? That's... It's like a whole package. We teach what? It's all of it, right? All of it. Uh, notice, notice the tradition of, of, uh, of also of uh, binding the Messiah on your hand to be a frontless between your eyes. Men wearing uh, tefillin or phylacteries during prayer. Uh, a, significant, a significant sign of, as, as we want to put in quotes here, Judaism. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. The, the mezuzot, uh, putting a mezuzah on a door. Uh, these are significant. Oh, here's a Jew that lives here because there's a mezuzah on the door, right? What comes first? Teach them to your children. And there's even, you know, as, as well as taking all of these traditions, which are basically taking the commandments and trying to say, how do you do it? But the most important one, or the first one, should, excuse me, listed at, after the internal part of loving the Lord and, and, uh, uh, and, and placing his words in your heart is that you should teach them to your children. Uh, it's a significant failure, not only among, uh, not only in nominal Judaism, not only among Messianic Judaism, but Christianity at large is has failed miserably at this idea of teaching them 
to your children. Teaching what? We teach our children lots of things. Mostly bad things. I don't exclude myself. Um, we teach them a lot. We're always teaching them. What do we teach them that's good? And it's teaching them these words. Ironically, those who teach their children these words are often derided, even in, even in conservative and believing communities. Uh, I, know, I know those of us that homeschool, we know that there is a peculiar, there is a peculiar and very sad disdain that is, that is placed upon us that homeschool, even by our friends who are believers. Um, it, it is almost as if some people feel like, well, if I don't do that, then somehow you look down on me, which most homeschoolers do not. Uh, but because of that feeling, feeling a sense of guilt or a sense of, of uh, shame, they, uh, they in fact re- reverse the action. And it's, it, is very, it is very common. Uh, not understanding where people come from in that regard is, is, uh, is very sad. Uh, every congregation I have been a part of, have ever seen, has this problem. Where in fact there is a, there is a division, a division between those who take this task seriously and how they apply it, homeschooling, and those who take this task maybe seriously but apply it in a different way, doing something else. And there is a division in the sense that they, they don't recognize they don't recognize that it is a task that people take as a duty to God. It's not because they look down on anyone else. Um, this congregation is no different. It is, it is present here as well, and it's something that we should be ashamed of when we see. Um, excuse me? Mm-hmm. Just want to make the point that the first thing it says is that it has to be in your heart. That's right. You can't teach. That you are exact. Live by. That's absolutely true. And in fact, we're going to see when we get to Yeshua's words. That's exactly the way that he starts as well. <clears throat> when he says, "You do and teach." Well, well when you walk in the way, I, I take that as your actions too. As when you go sure. home, because your actions usually speak. I mean. I might say part of life. To my children, but I might do something else, and they're going to see that something else much more. It's part of life. People make fun of homeschoolers because they count everything as school. When you have to t- turn into the state what you did for school, they go, "Well, we did it every day was school," you know. And of course, nobody goes that extreme, but it's pretty close, you know. It's like, why? Because that's our job, and we teach all the time. We never stop. <laughs> when you walk by the way, that's exactly right. When you walk by the way, and in that same regard, who else am I teaching? Others. I'm even teaching myself. This is, a, this is a remarkable thing. And we've discussed this for the last month. We've discussed that when you choose to obey God, to be devoted to Him and what He's told you to do, you find that even though your attitudes may not start out right, and as your intentions may be wrong, remarkably, remarkably, your intentions are actually swayed by the actions that you do. You get in habits. Good habits are not bad. <laughs> you know what a lot of people say is, well, no, no, I can't do that until I feel right about it because that would be hypocrisy. Absolutely false. That is a lie from the enemy. If you will do it first, your attitude will change. It's, 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 it's a blessed thing. It's a blessed thing to be disciplined in obedience to God's words. It's a blessed thing because you find after time those things become more precious. Those things, that time that you spend with Him in obedience to Him, when you are consciously making choices to follow Him, uh, will will have uh, enormous effect on your intentions. Go to Psalm 51. The first word we're going to look at, there's five words I had us look at um, for uh, teaching. Um, and these are the principal ones in Hebrew, the principal teaching words. There are additional words, additional nuances that we 
find in Greek. But these are the principal ones that we find in, uh, in Hebrew. Uh, the first is Lamad. Now, anyone knows uh, the Aleph Bet? Uh, in fact, if you, if you saw this one, uh, especially in the, uh, in the proto or the uh, ancient Hebrew script, Lamad is like a shepherd's staff. In fact, we use the word to teach Lamad, uh, but it's also the, the letter, Lamad. So the letter actually represents the word as well. Uh, so it's to, the letter to uh, Lamed and Lamad to teach and instruct is Psalm 51. Then you just stop talking and read. Psalm 51 verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Here's teach is that word is that word lamad. Uh, it is to, it is to uh, in the sense of teaching in this way it's to lead someone. It doesn't say preach. Right? It doesn't say stand at the corner with your Bible and thump it. it it's to lead. It's to walk alongside someone. It's to uh, gently, as a shepherd would with a staff, and that's Lamad has the idea of a shepherd's staff. That's exactly where it comes from. It's to, in fact, keep people from going to, in the air and showing them the right way. Okay? Uh, Yara is the other one that I've written on the board. That is where we get the word Torah from, or Torah from. It is to shoot or to point. Go to Second Chronicles 15. If you have a Chumash, of course, this is going to be at the end of your Chumash. If you have an English Bible, you're going to find it after First and Second Kings. Right. About a third of the way through. Second Chronicles uh, 15, verse 1 through 4. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa. All Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while, you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake, he, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. That teaching priest, that, that is a descriptive word, right? A teaching priest. What were the priests sp- supposed to teach? And it's like, okay, so the priest stand up and preach every day, every 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 Sunday. The priest stood up and well, not on Shabbat, right? Or Shabbat maybe. No, they stood up and preach it. No, that's not what they do. What is a teaching priest? Do you know? They're taken to task in Ezekiel for not doing this. They were to teach, if you did your homework, they were to teach the difference between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the profane. That's right. You knew that. You knew it. That is the job. That's Having a teaching priest was necessary to teach the difference between what was holy and what wasn't. It's like, that's remarkable. It's like, well, what's the big deal? Yeah, that's pretty easy, right? Well, actually, it's not. But <laughs> um, anyway, and without law. And here's that word, law. And actually, these are the same word, different variations of the same word, without teaching, yara. How was the t- priest to teach? By pointing. By pointing. This is so important that you get. Torah. It's pointing to something. You've heard before that sin is missing the mark. Mm-hmm. It's a target, right? You miss the target. That's exactly the, the, the inverse or the converse of this. It's to hit the target. Hit the mark. So when a priest, a teaching priest, would be teaching the difference between clean and unclean, this type of teaching is what? It's pointing to what is. 
it's like, it, here's an example. Here's something clean. See? Clean, clean. Pointing to it. See, this is clean. And here's something. See? This is unclean. Oh, I get it. I get it. What, that's exactly the way. That's a very elementary way of teaching, isn't it? Show one or show the other or show an exemplar. One that is a standard. Here's the standard. Everybody can see that standard. Okay, I get that. That's the way it's supposed to look. That is why this word, or the, the extension of this word, Torah, is in fact such a valuable word in us understanding. It's the standard. It's the way that it's supposed to look. What's supposed to look? A godly life. Or looking like the one who created us. It. It's a standard of righteousness. It's the way that he is. Right? Other things. Within, within the scriptures themselves, Yeshua said, if you had opened, if you had known the words of Moses, you would have known that I was the one that he was speaking about. Excuse me, I'm paraphrasing. Why? Because he was pointing to me. In fact, that's exactly what Hebrews says. He was pointing to me. It was pointing to the Messiah. So the very instructions that were given, the word in Torah means to instruct, instructions, were pointing to the very Messiah as the standard. This is what he looks like. This is what righteousness looks like. This is what God does. I mean, understanding that you see this in a very, in three dimensions, as an example, that's the point, as an example, helps us immensely to understand how in fact we're supposed to live. How in fact we can determine, as John says, that we in fact have eternal life. How can I know that I, know, how can I, know that I love my brother, as it says in First John? How can I know that I love my brother? That you, keep your, that you keep the commandments. That's how I know I love my brother. I just, I feel like I love him. I have great, I mean, I have great emotion for him, you know. I see my brother in, 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 in dire straits. I have this great emotion. How can you know that you love your brother? It's not because you have the emotion. It's because you obey what God has told you to do regarding your brother. That's how you know you love your brother. How do I know that I love God? You play that game? I've played that game before. Uh, we can go round and round in our minds, you know. How do I know that 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 I know? Here's how you can know. What's the standard? What's the example that God's given us? That is how you can know. With a certainty. And what is the outcome of that? First John tells us, John says, that you may know that you have eternal life. What a valuable thing. The man that says, as, as John says in First John, the man that says, the woman that says, well, I have faith, I believe, and yet continues in sin, what sin? Missing the mark, not obeying God, is a liar. Pretty easy. Boy, we don't like those kind of words. We just don't. Because they call us, when we compare ourselves to the standard, we come up short. We do. We absolutely do. Everybody sins. So what was John talking about? Is that the quality of your life? Is that the quality of your life? That he's like, okay, everybody sins, but do you like always sin? <laughs> do you always make the wrong choice? Or the majority of time, you've got a problem if that's true. You do. Go to the next word is yasar or musar to chasten or to discipline. This is uh, uh, expressed in Leviticus 26. Now I gave you a whole lot more references to look up these words, and I know it was a very long homework, and I appreciate it. Those who took the time to do it, you are to be greatly commended. There was a lot there. Uh, Deuter uh, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 18. Even if we got part of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you got part of it done, good for you. Leviticus 26:18. After all this, if you do not obey me. Uh, is that it? Hmm. 
Yes. After all this, if you do not obey me, I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Nah, I'm not thinking that that is it. Actually, it may be. It is the word chasten there. Yes. The word punish is a teaching word. It's teach. Some translations actually may have that. But if you look at the background of that word, yasar, if you look at the English variations of it, you'll find it saying teach other places. Here it's to punish, to chasten. If you don't, if you don't, and after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Seven times. Seven times a punishment. Well, why? God is, is God, excuse me for saying this is what some people would say, is God mean? He wants to punish you seven times for your sins? What's the purpose of punishment for your children? Because you're mean? You want them to stop it. You want them to learn from what they've done. You want to give negative feedback so that they will have a positive reaction. You know what we say in, in, in the teaching field, those of you who teach know this is true, those of you who teach professionally know this is true, and that is learning is a change in behavior. If there's no change in behavior, there has been no learning. You can memorize all you want. If there's no change in behavior, it's not what you think, it's what you do. If there's no change in behavior, you haven't learned. This is what God's saying. I'm going to teach you. You're going to learn this. In fact, the Babylonian captivity is an expression of this very thing. Seven times. In fact, for 70, for 70 sabbaticals, they had forgotten the very words of God regarding the, the allowing the land to lie fallow as it was commanded in the Torah. And so what did God do? 70 times 7. 490 years. And in fact, for every year they missed, they spent a year in captivity. It was for 490 years. They had not done it. For every year that they missed, they spent a year in captivity. And we ended up with the Babylonian captivity as a result of that. Uh, so they, in fact, experienced... Okay, you want the, you didn't lie to let the land lie follow. I will let the land lie follow without you. Did they learn? Very well. In fact... Their obedience to the commandments of God following the Babylonian captivity would, you'd have to say, was scrupulous, at least nationally. Those who returned to the land. That's right. But some didn't. Uh, well, a lot didn't, yes. And actually, they, were, they, they did a pretty good job after that as well. The ones that remained in Babylon actually were uh, very much similar. Um, go to the next one was Shanan which is what we get in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 7 uh, where it says sharp we teach them diligently it says teach your children diligently that is this word Shanan we sharpen those and this is the word to sharpen you sharpen think about that you know what are children it says what are, what are the children they are like arrows right blessed is the man whose who's quiver is full of them what is an arrow an arrow goes someplace that you cannot go or, or have not gone that's right. You, you stand at one point and you shoot an arrow. And in this case, an example would be uh, to the places you, you aren't and to a time that you have not been. It goes into the future, you know, hopefully. Uh, I, consider them, I consider my sons. They're spread across. Uh, one of them here is, is here now, but they're spread, spread across the world. They're doing things that, that I'm not doing. And, and you know... Uh, I, I trust in the Lord that they're doing things that actually glorify His name that I'm not doing. I mean, I, I have an opportunity to extend my worship of the one true God multiplied and multiplied and in different places. 
That's why this idea of, of an arrow. Well, it's, it's to sharpen. It's to sharpen. This teaching is to sharpen. It, in fact, it, I, it, it's, it's that picture of, uh, you know, it's interesting because the, uh, the word does not mean teach diligently. We, and that's how we translate it in English. It's simply sharpen them. Sharpen them. And the last one is uh, Job 35.11 is Allah. Uh, this is a great one too. Boy, all, these, all five of these words are, are so good in our understanding and how we are to teach. Not just our children, but one another. Job 35.11 uh, says, um, Who teaches us more... Excuse me, go up to verse, uh, verse 9. Because of the multitude of the oppressors, they cry out. They cry out for help because of the arm of the mighty. But no one says, where is God my maker? Who gives songs in the night? Who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth? And makes us wiser than the birds of heaven? God teaches us. How does he teach us? He yokes us. As I've said before, the Shema is, in, in, in traditional nominal Judaism, saying the Shema is described as taking the yoke of the kingdom of heaven upon you. The, the idea that it is, it is my duty to live faithfully to the king of the universe. That's the idea behind the Shema. And so this idea of, take, of him being yoked with us is a beautiful picture. What are you yoked with? In Acts chapter 15, Peter says, you know, uh, we couldn't even live by these, even our fathers couldn't live by these burdensome rules. And of course, most commentators immediately says, well, absolutely. Read the first five books of Moses. Who could live that way? And of course, they're being absolutely inconsistent and false because as Paul told Timothy all the words that God has spoken through his servant Moses I would add are good right and profitable how can God give any instructions that are not good and for our good it's impossible so the idea that Peter in in Acts chapter 15 was somehow saying that we could never live by this well this is a common teaching Uh, see God gave us the law as as a trick as a as a ruse to prove that we couldn't live by it and to thereby infect us with a sense of guilt and despair so that we would turn to him as only he could save us which by the way is true because the instructions that God gave were never meant to save us. They were meant to point to his standard of righteousness. But they were also, they continue to point, not just in the past, but in our very lives. Those of you who will be celebrating Rosh Hashanah next week, you can reflect on what Yeshua has in fact done, considering a day of judgment, standing before him as the supreme judge, and what you will say to him. And how he will say, I have covered it all. And those of you who celebrate Yom Kippur, knowing that with the affliction of your souls, of that day, that solemn day, and to recognize that he has forever gone into that tabernacle in the heavenlies, and has forever cleansed it with his own blood, means a lot when you celebrate Yom Kippur knowing what he's done for you. And those of you who celebrate uh, the Feast of Tabernacles to code, knowing that you can rest and will rest for eternity with him, expressed in those seven, eight days are in fact 
reminders of what we are looking forward to. It's not that it's all done with, oh, that's great. Oh, I figured that one out. I got the picture. I don't need any more examples. No, by living it every year, you renew yourself to those examples. You renew yourself, hopefully, in gratefulness to what he's done and in commitment to following him. So that, is this, that is this idea of being yoked with him. That his instructions are good. I do not stand by myself in obedience to the commandments of God. I place myself under his hand, place his yoke upon me, and realize that he is with me in obedience. I have aligned myself with the king as opposed to being in rebellion to the king. Am I by myself? No, I'm with the king. This is a good thing to do. Sign me up. I'll be on the king's side. Thank you very much. Right? This is that kind of alas. God yokes, is yoked us to teach us wisdom. The Psalms and the Proverbs are full of this idea that God's word, God, God's words spoken, written down, are valuable to teach us wisdom. Not the wisdom of the world that can logically map things out. What's logical about the idea that the ashes of a red heifer, something dead, ashes, of course, at at the same time, mixed with water, can somehow make me clean. There's no logic to that. But it's God's instructions. It's a mystery. Sometimes God's instructions make no sense. That's okay. I don't care. (laughs) I really don't. In fact, I find some comfort in that. Because a lot of times I can't make sense of things going on. And I find comfort in the idea that sometimes God tells me to do things that just don't make sense. And it's not up to my idea to make sense of it anyway. And and I, I challenge anyone who thinks that if you think you can go through your life and read the scriptures and make sense of it all and get it all formed and lined up uh, what's going to happen in the day of calamity. Nothing makes sense in the day of calamity. Nothing. And if your faith, if what you call faith is simply a sense of making sense of it, that I can align it all up, I have a systematic theology, I read the scriptures and, oh, it makes perfect sense to me. You know, where is your faith being, being placed? It's being placed in your own ability to discern what you think Scripture means, as opposed to being placed in a person, which is what Scripture reveals as a person. It reveals a person. Let's go on. How to teach. And I've given you these kind of three ways, and excuse me for doing this, I'm trying to, I was trying to pick pick S words, but uh, it does seem to fit, if you'll work with me this way, Lamad is instructing, instructing, it's pointing to something, but Lamad specifically talks of speaking. So I put speak. Uh, y- yara is pointing, excuse me, uh, excuse me, Lamad was, was leading, excuse me, instructing from Torah. Instructing is to speak. Yara is pointing, and that is to show, right? This is what it looks like. I show you what it looks like, right? Yasar is to turning. It's to turn someone, right? He's trying to turn us around. He chastens us. He's trying to turn us around. The, the, I, the word for repentance, uh, teshuvah, is to turn, right? It's to turn around. So it's to shift. You're going this way. I'm going to shift your pattern. You're going to go this way now, okay? Shanan, uh, is as we get from teaching your children diligently, is to sharpen. You're sharpening it. Uh, I don't know. The word shanan should have been something different there. What was that? My outline, I had it wrong in the book. It's probably correct. It's not Shanan Shanan. It's, uh, I would guess it's sharpening. Yeah. Alaf is yoking. 
and it's to share. And this is one of the things I want to encourage you with. God does not put you by yourself. He shares with you. He has not called you to walk the path alone. He has called you to walk with Him. I would challenge you, those who, who, who are thinking that this doesn't apply to me, these things that God has said don't necessarily apply to me, I live in a modern world, come on, I can't do those things. This doesn't work. Uh, I would challenge you that, that um, if you're walking with the Master, with Yeshua, figuratively, uh, if you're walking with Him figuratively, you'll walk with Him in your life as well. Rick, I think sometimes we think of teaching as being standing up in front of a class, like what you're doing, but a lot of times it's how we respond to events in our lives. Absolutely. Um, being the only believer in my family, there's been several things that have happened in my life, and, and sometimes I'm very conscious that my family is watching how I react yes, you are. to this situation. Uh, that is a, a very humbling in some ways. That's a great, that is a great how can point. I be an example of That is a great point. That's one of the things, you know, we talk about sanctifying the name, sanctifying the name of God in this world, you know, making God's name holy, revealing Him. Sanctifying the name is principally how we act. And people are watching. And they usually are watching us in our most inopportune times. Uh, who teaches? Uh, Exodus 4.12, this is Moses, our teacher. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher, should not be diminished because if you diminish him, you're diminishing our master, Yeshua. Because, in fact, although Yeshua is greater, the, the, uh, our examples, and I give you the examples in Acts chapter 3, verse 22, Deuteronomy 18.15, Deuteronomy 18.18-19, uh, 18 Deuteronomy 12.32-13.4, Yeshua is the one like Moses, and that's exactly what the, what the apostles say. There was... Moses says, God is going to send a prophet like unto me. It is Yeshua. And that's exactly what the apostles say. So if you are un- unwilling or do not like the idea of Moses, boy, I'm sure glad we don't have that Moses guy around anymore, then you're actually diminishing the very, the very ministry of Yeshua as the prophet. Moses is a prophet. Yeshua is the prophet. And uh, by the way, Deuteronomy chapter 13 says, if he leads you away, if a prophet leads you away, where God has spoken through his servant Moses he's to be stoned so we know that, Mo- that Yeshua never would have even though he's the greater he would never have div- diver- diverted from God, what God had spoken um, there's a principle of what comes first is supreme and there's a reason for that anybody that's been in computers knows this uh, there's before every before every package of information is sent across a modem line or a network line there's first sent the instructions of what it will look like when it's complete a CRC. There's, a, there's an idea that here's the whole picture. And if it doesn't add up when you get to the end, send it again because it's not right. And if you, if you treat the scriptures that way, you can't get to the end in Revelation and go, by the way, let's say that all the stuff before Revelation doesn't count anymore. Then Revelation doesn't count. You have to start at the beginning, chronologically. God has said, this is what righteousness looks like. If anybody speaks against this, don't listen to them. Thank you very much. We have no bill, so we're moving quickly here. Go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. This is the greatest prophet of all. He's more than a prophet, certainly. But he is the greatest prophet of all speaking. Verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. 
And that word plero in the Greek means to make it full, to make it stand up. For assuredly, I say to you, to heaven and earth pass away. One jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Notice there's no issue of salvation here. It's like, okay, you break a commandment, you're going to hell. He doesn't say that. He says the opposite. Uh, but what does he do? He do. He says, but whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is what we were talking about. To do, to live, to have it in your heart is how you teach. Right? You do first. In that, you're teaching. That's how you teach. How do you teach? By living faithfully according to what God has spoken. That's what he says. This is the great lawgiver. This is, this is Yeshua. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. As you go through the Sermon on the Mount, with those of you who did Matthew, we talked about this. This is the explanation of righteous living as described in the Torah. Not an overturning of the Torah, which would be silly. The idea that he would turn it over in the middle of it. And right here at the beginning he says, I didn't come to do that. Of course, in some people's mind, when he says, do not think I came to destroy the law of the prophets, I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. In their mind, the word fulfill means to abolish. Oh yeah, that's it. okay, he did that. All that stuff's passed now. No, he said, I didn't come to do that. In other words, come on, read the context. The word fulfill can't mean abolish. It can't mean abolish, or it's, it's, you know, it's just silly to think of such things. But that's a theology, so we know where that comes from. Uh, yes, ma'am. I've heard fulfilled with an ED at the end. Fulfilled. Past tense. Right. Yeah, past tense. Well, it, again, I would, I would simply offer then that's contrary to what he just said. And then he turns around and says, if you teach people to keep, if you do these commandments and teach others to, you'd be great. In other words, he's given this, he's given this high standard. Unless your righteousness exceeds, in the next verse, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, not is less than. Oh, no, it's a. It's a mysterious righteousness. It's not visible. That's in some people's minds what it is. Right? Rick, another way to understand that is there were probably 300 prophets in the, in the Torah. That's right. In the Messiah. Sure. He did. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, I mean, the word fulfilled can't mean an, annulled. And that's what, I guarantee you, that's what most people do when they read that. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. I've got to finish up and then we're running short. So I'm going to go real quickly to Matthew 28. What are... Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. This is a commandment. What are we to teach? This is it. The Great Commission, as some people call it. We talked about this in Matthew. Unfortunately, a lot of people teach the Great Commission as go. Stop. Okay, baptize. Stop. What are we supposed to do? Go, therefore. Verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Teaching them. To make a disciple is not simply to get someone to walk an aisle or raise a hand. Those may be, those may be good steps. But those are just steps. Making a disciple means to teach them. Saying, and this is what a teacher does. Excuse me, but it's true. A teacher says, see me, copy me. Right. We're not supposed to make disciples for ourselves. As Paul said, I imitate Yeshua. You can imitate me because I imitate him. Imitate him. But you can imitate me. Boy, that's a high standard for a teacher. Boy, does that make it serious for you? That's, that's your job. That's your duty. Uh, like I said, this is this fourfold command, and I've given only three here, make disciples immerse teaching. And the reason I focused on that is because the usual focus coming from a family of those who went, my, my father and mother went to Africa uh, to serve. Uh, I know that this is, this, is, this is great mission teaching. Go. And it is. 
but it's really as you go it's really as you go as you're living your life do these things uh, not that there's anything wrong with going because believe me there's not uh, that's absolutely to be uh, to be admired and to be held up as a standard the question is are you a disciple of the lawgiver Hakak Hakak uh, is, is, uh, comes from Genesis a lawgiver shall not depart from Judah uh, Yeshua is the great Hakak he's the one who gives law he's the one who gives instructions he's the teacher are you disciple if you are you will not only teach something you are commanded to teach all those you know starting with those closest to you such as your children observe all that he commanded you and recognizing that he is the great teacher we're to imitate him in our teaching and how he taught let's close in prayer our Father, we do thank you that you teach us from your word. We thank you for the, the, for the power of your word to change our lives, to direct us, Father, to uh, even uh, invade our lives in the very mundane, the things that we don't even consider to be uh, deeds of righteousness. You have given us standards that affect our lives in, in even the smallest detail. Such a detail as to thank you after we eat. Father, we do thank you. Uh, for these instructions. We know that these instructions, although they do not save us, and although they do not uh, make us righteous before you, Father, we know that they teach us what righteousness looks like. But Father, we also know, and most importantly, that they reveal your very character. They reveal your very acts of redemption on our behalf. And Father, we surrender to you as King and ask that you would teach us and we will teach others. And we say this in Yeshua's name, our Master. Amen. Amen. So you're